Welcome to The Reclaimed Leader, a podcast by two pastors trying to lead their churches through revitalization and change. Their mission, to share their journey with you so it might help you in yours. And now, here, please welcome our hosts, Jason Tucker and Jesse Skiffington. Hey, everyone, welcome to episode 87 of The Reclaim Leader, helping you lead change without losing your roots. I am Jason Tucker, here with Jesse Skiffington. How's it going, Jesse? I'm doing really well, Jason. Just, you know, cranking away on life and leadership. And uh, you know this because um, we talk pretty often, but uh, we made a, a colossal parenting error. <laughs> a colossal one. Uh, a couple of years. This is totally off topic, but I got to share this with everybody. Uh, a couple of years ago, we lost our first child, our golden retriever named Everett, who we had while in seminary and and kind of before kids. And so uh, he passed away a couple of years ago. And since then, our kids who are now seven and I have been begging, begging, begging for us to get a puppy, get a puppy. And uh, so they started saving pennies and nickels and dimes and quarters in a, in a puppy jar and it got full been full for about six months. And uh, so we started to feel the weight of puppy pressure. Anyway, so long story short, Callie, my wife has been um, keeping her eyes open for puppies out there. We love golden retrievers. And so she's seen a few families that are breeding and different things like that. And this one lady said, um, probably around Memorial Day weekend, we'll have a a new litter and um, we'll keep you posted. So uh, she reached out to us and they had uh, a a litter and they had a few puppies that hadn't been claimed yet. And she said, this is the famous words right here. She said, why don't you just come and visit and play with the puppies for a little while? <laughs> and then you'll get to know our operation, how things go. And, you know, and then whenever you're ready for a puppy, uh, then you, you know, you'll, you, you know, come get one, you know, in a, down the road somewhere. And so of course, and just here's the, these are words to live by. If you go visit puppies, you will come home <laughs> with a puppy. Okay. And so now we have a puppy at home, a golden retriever named Alexander, uh, because Will, my son, thought it would be really great to shout across the the yard, Alexander. Anyway, so we've got that going for us. What does that have to do with leadership in the church? I'm not sure it has anything to do with leadership in the (laughs) church, but it does have to do with clear vision. Our kids were so focused on the vision of getting a puppy. They couldn't wait for a puppy. They were looking forward to it. They were promising big promises about who they'd be and how they'd act and how they'd help if we got a puppy. And it was amazing to see what that laser-like vision could help accomplish. Uh, You have to show us that you can get your chores done. You have to show us that you can be responsible in other areas. And then we'll talk about a puppy. And that clarity of vision, that clear direction, really had a huge impact on our kids. And all that to say... In our conversation today, we're talking about clear vision. We're talking about that dream that you want to pursue that brings everything else into focus and brings motivation behind it. So maybe that puppy has a lot to do with leadership in the church after all. I think it does. I think you're right on. And today we is the last of our Rethink Leadership uh, conversations that we recorded at the conference. And we were talking all about vision because we were inspired by Horst Schultze, who um, was the head of Ritz Carlton and is an incredible vision guy. And we were just, man, our 
our pens were smoking uh, as we were writing notes based on that session. And uh, so we, we get into vision and talking about clarity because that's really what he harps on is when you clearly know exactly what you want and everybody in the organization knows what you want, then, then you have a better shot of getting to where you want to go. You just simply can't get there without the clarity. And, you know, your kids are a great example. Everybody in the organization, everybody in the family needs to share it, needs to have a, a, a detailed look, a detailed picture in their minds of where you want to go. And so for us as leaders, it's how do we not only paint that detailed picture, but how do we make sure that there's sufficient buy-in so that they are on board and they, you know, take us further faster? Yeah. And of course, we're listening to Horst Schultze, which is a great name, by the way. Right. Isn't that awesome? Whose passion and, and excitement about that vision still seems as real today as it was when he started way back when to, to in the Ritz-Carlton world to, to sort of set the standard of hospitality and, and customer experience. And so a uh, really fantastic stuff. And we can't wait to share our reflections about that with you. But wanted to point forward a little bit before we get into it to some things that are coming up next that we're excited about. Yeah, so uh, we got a couple of guests this month that we're excited about. Jeannie Stevens is going to be talking to us from Soul City Church. She's going to be talking more leadership development. I mean, those every time we do leadership development development episodes, Jesse, um, people dial in, and we get a lot of downloads on those. So we're we hear you, and we are going to uh, have Ron to talk more about that. And then we have Ray jo- Jones from the PCUSA, who's going to be talking. Uh, about mission. He's going to talk about vital congregations, uh, which should be great. And then I'm excited. Once we get into the summer, uh, you and I, Jesse, are going to do this whole series, uh, four parts on leading adaptive change, which I'm really excited about. And of course, this idea kind of came through in the uh, Canoeing the Mountains um, episode with Todd Bolsinger. And uh, those who are on our Facebook group, uh, we had a few win a free copy of that book. And so I want to encourage you to jump on the Facebook group uh, Reclaimed Leader Facebook uh, page. And uh, yeah, so we're excited about those episodes coming up. Hope that you'll join us for the ride. And more importantly, I hope that it really helps you. Hope that it really helps you as we're kind of ending the chapter on one ministry season and moving into the next. And so uh, we do, before we get into our, our talk today, we want to thank our sponsor, Belay Solutions. Uh, they are helping pastors to lock in on vision because they're taking a lot of the tasks off of their plate uh, and helping them focus on what matters most. So check them out, belaysolutions.com. And uh, man, this is great. Let's get right into our conversation from Rethink. Here we go. All right. Day two uh, has ended and you know we have a fresh new batch of a million things to think about. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Always more content coming at you. But I love that... Um, What's been kind of interesting, we've been talking about this, Jason, is that uh, we've done enough of these kinds of conferences. You hear some of the same themes and thoughts, uh, but every once in a while you encounter someone who stands so far kind of head and shoulders above the rest as far as what they do to your heart and as you listen in. And we had a speaker like that in, in uh, that just kind of blew us away with um with his passion and, and commitment to his vision. So we're going to talk a little bit about uh, that today. And, and uh, the gentleman who led Ritz Carlton for years and years uh, and help me with his name because it's, it's, it's a tough one. Horst Schulze. Horst Schulze. So commit that one to memory. <laughs> That's right. That's a good one. Well, he, uh, he came in and talked to us. He's got a new book called excellence wins, which I really plan on picking up. I think there's probably a lot in there, but 
He's the kind of speaker. First of all, he's a German accent, so it's pretty, yeah, it was pretty compelling. And you Anything feel like, he says is true. Well, you have to listen to him and do what he says, or, or, or else kind of That's thing. Right. Uh, but uh, yeah, he talked about um, and the idea of excellence in the church. We're gonna we'll mine down on that a little bit, but he said really it's about um, not compromising. Yeah, not compromising in a world. I mean, in a world of compromise, don't give away the things that matter most to you and don't compromise on those things. And uh, we have a tendency, I think, uh, to do that sometimes in the church. And so anyway, uh, it was some good. Yeah. And he called the church out on that. He sure did. Uh, You know, he said that the people have moved one direction. The church uh, is on the other direction. They said, oh, well, the people are over there. We got to go over there and sort of care about what they care about. And in a way that could be seen as missional. But the problem is, as he says, at least the church in Europe has left God behind. That's right. You know, I thought that was a really it's, powerful it's moment. It's interesting, um, and this thought occurred to me as he was talking, but it's kind of like when you're, you know, you like a, a girl back in the day, and it's, and she's not interested. And so, but you keep running after her as if something is, and, and she's like, what, what are you doing? Quit following me around. This is weird. Or or like when someone is, is breaking up with you, and you're like, no, no, I'll do anything to fix it. And, yeah. Um, and I think where the church is a little bit like that with culture, we're trying to figure out, how to win win people back, but we're doing it in all the wrong ways. We're yeah. we're needy. We're we're running after them. We're uh, instead of saying, okay, this is who I am, and figuring out who we are really deep down, so that we become somebody that somebody want to date again and see what we're about. Anyway, that's a yeah. weird analogy. <laughs> well, for me, that led to marriage. So, yeah, that's you know, right. right. <laughs> no, but um, I thought it was good. He actually had an interesting starting point. He said about hospitality, you know, hospitality is really what Ritz Carlton is known for. I mean, it's legendary for its hospitality. And he, he brought it back to St. Benedict in 500. Um, who he talked about, uh, how Benedict told the other, uh, monasteries when they were to welcome guests to receive guests as if it was Jesus Christ himself. I thought that was an interesting starting point for a, a guy who, you know, has a successful CEO of these, um, hotel chains. And here he goes bringing St. Benedict in. I thought that was really cool. It was a good move in a room full of pastors anyway, right? Absolutely. Yeah, but, Absolutely. but that idea, think about if every kid, every adult that walked through the doors of our churches or even into our homes as Christians had that sort of welcome, that would change things pretty dramatically. For right. Us. Think yeah. about how that would impact absolutely everything that we do. And I think yeah. that's what this is really about. Sure. And having, you know, one of the things that I'm hoping to do when I get back not the first day, but <laughs> I feel so sorry for your staff team already. <laughs> but is uh, this summer we're going to be doing a, an overnight retreat, and I and I want to talk about this. What would it look like if we treated every guest who walks in our doors as Jesus Himself? How would it change our guest services? How would it change the way that we approach everything that we do? And I yep. think um, I think that's really powerful. And incidentally, if you've never, I mean, hopefully you've had this conversation about hospitality with your, your teams and whatever, but um, if you haven't ever, there's a lot of good stuff out there from uh, North Point and others that have taken the Ritz-Carlton and sort of the Disney uh, uh, hospitality models and applied them in the church uh, from the way that we greet and welcome and uh, just some basic stuff that can really help people f- experience a warm welcome when they walk through the doors of your church. Uh, one of the most simple, and Horst mentioned this in his talk again, but instead of just pointing to something, 
you you look someone in the eye, you smile, you're glad that they're there, and then if they're asked where the restroom is or where the nursery is, you you walk with them to that place and you say nice things to them along the way, right? Yeah. I, I like yeah. that. But those are the simple principles that it's not super complicated stuff, but it has to be reinforced at every turn and uh, that hospitality stuff. So if you've never kind of delved into the hospitality side of the church or really thought strategically about it, there's a lot of good stuff out there that folks are doing to to put this into action. But the thing that jumped out at us, and we'll, we'll talk more about the hospitality stuff, but Horst was, is a vision guy. Yeah. And he, man, he just Maybe got that's up, why I took so many notes. I know, I'm like, right? you're speaking my language. Yeah, he got us fired up about not only his vision, but in effect, what ended up happening, and I started writing notes about our vision and what what I hope will happen, what I dream about for our church. And that's what that's what good vision leaders do. They they get you excited about your vision uh, that that God has given you. So anyway, that's what happened for me. And I have, you know, four pages of notes here. But uh, yeah, you know, and, I know you do, too. And he um, there are a couple of things he said about vision that I think are important. He said he said, first of all, it's got to start with your dream. What's your dream? And it's all because dreams inspire people and dreams uh, give you a purpose to follow. And um, he says, you have to know, you have to have a clearly defined destination mm-hmm. in order to get where you're going. And for a lot of us in the church, we might not have that. Um, I know that me, myself, individually, we were talking about this this morning at breakfast. Like, I don't know what my personal dreams are. I think they're so interwoven with the church dreams. And, and I don't know if that's healthy or not, but I just know that's how that's it is. That's kind of the way it is, right? <laughs> that's how it is. That as vision people, we... I don't know that it's it's hard to separate our life out like that. I yeah. think, and maybe that's okay that our personal vision is tied in with the, the vision for the church, or what? Maybe it's, it's it's bigger than one version of a local church. But what do we dream about for the church as a whole? And then, particularly, what's our dream for Tower Hill or Marine View or the church wherever you are? Your particular dream for that church and how that bigger vision that you have for what you hope for and long for in the church. How does that apply right where you are? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so sol- solid. And um, I love that. He said the dream is is what leads you and gives you a, a focal point for your destination. Yeah. And then you backfill after that to how you get there. That's right? exactly yeah. it. And that's what he said. He said, then you build processes around the, around the steps to get that's where you're right. going. And I think sometimes we, um, in the church, because we have such a long history and probably 15 different visions from different pastors and leaders over the years and all that, that sometimes people who have been around a long time, the way that we do church, the systems and the process and, and some of the, the ways we're organized become the vision almost for them. And uh, I think that's that's not what a vision is, right? Yeah. Uh, that's how we accomplish the vision. It's not the vision itself. And sometimes we mistake uh, the method to, to move for the vision. And what Horst was saying about that is if, if you do that, if you mess that part up, you're going to just be wandering all over the place. Yeah. You don't, you're not moving toward anything. You're just kind of wandering. And so you have to have a clear sense of that destination or that vision. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And I love what he said, even just in the hiring process, he said, we didn't hire anybody. We selected people to join us in our dream. Mm -hmm. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's so good. That's funny, like, dude. Yeah, right. It, it, that we're not making hires. We're asking people, do you want in on this dream that we have? Here's yeah. our dream. Yeah. And he he made a really great point. He said, with millennials, and I know we've been talking about this for the last couple of days. It's like 
millennials, what do they want? They want a sense of purpose. He says, so give it to them. Yeah. Give, give it to them. Tell yeah. them what their purpose is, is to fulfill this dream of whatever your church's dream is. And, and they'll, they'll get on board. Yeah. And then you have to mean it though, too. Join me in a, in this dream and here's your part of the dream and now run with it and make it yours. Right. And, and sometimes I think when it comes to younger employees in the church, we, we invite them maybe into a version of the dream and then we say, and here's exactly how you're going to do right. it or something. Right. And so, yeah, but I love that. Yeah. Join us in the dream. Join uh, us in the dream. Yeah. We've selecting you to be a part of this dream. Do you want to do that with us? Uh, give your, your life to something greater than yourself. You know, I, I, all those things resonate not only with us, but I think across the generations that, that, that yeah. resonates. Yeah. So I'll just quickly go through all of his steps. He just said, first of all, you got to identify your dream. So you get a clear destination. Then he said, be unequivocally committed to your vision. Yeah. And that's easy to say, of course, really hard to do. Yeah. Um, he says, then create steps to get there and then keep your focus on it. And he yeah. said, that's where yeah. a lot of leaders fall down on the keep your focus on it. It's like, and I totally get it because I feel like we launch a vision in our church or we, yeah. and it's an exciting couple of weeks. Yeah. Yeah. A couple of weeks. <laughs> I know. I like it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's really the determination. This goes all the way back to what we were saying at, in our last episode about Jeannie Stevens, about like want to versus willing to. Yeah. It's constant vigilance. It takes constant vigilance and uh, inviting other people to help help us stay focused on the dream, especially sometimes when, when we lose focus or um, we get down in the weeds a little bit too much. And I, that's when I start to notice um, my energy drying up. I, I start to go, what's this all for? Um, start to maybe feel sorry for myself as a pastor. Poor me. I should have done something else with my life. You know? <laughs> and then somebody reminds me of the vision. Yeah. Or someone says, hey, I, you know, so in some way points me back to why we did this all in the first place. And I go, oh, yeah. And then you start to dream again. And that's for me as a leader is what, you know, brings life. Um, but it's easy to lose focus on that for sure. Yeah. What did you think about what he said, uh, how to tell the difference between leaders and managers? Whew, that was tough. Right? That yeah. was that yeah. was kind of tough. He, he said that managers, he framed it in the context of there's a certain benchmark that they have to hit in all their hotels. And was it 92% satisfaction yeah. rate or something like yep. that? That's pretty tough. Right? And, uh, and if they did, if a manager didn't hold that, or if a hotel didn't hold that, you know, he'd go you know, right to the head of that hotel and be like, okay, what's going on? He said, the managers would always, you know, he'd always say, well, what's your goal? Yeah. What are your goals? And, yeah. and, or why didn't you hit 92? And a manager would just give excuses. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it was, it was rainy. It was snowy and icy. And, uh, he, he had some fun with sure, that idea, yeah. but a leader would say, oh yeah, you know, we're going to get there. We're excited. Can't wait. We just, Wait do you see a year from now, you know? Yeah. So it's a little different lens, right? The manager personality tends to look for excuses or reasons why we can't or reasons not to. And that's not, you know, he wasn't knocking management so much as he's saying there's a, a real profound need for leaders. Exactly. Because management is important. But leadership points to the vision again and said, I know we can do better. Let's go. We can, let's try again. Keep, let's go. We can make it happen. And, um, 
I, in what he was saying out of the, I think at the time and he was talking um, out of that season, they had 65 hotels. And he said, as he interviewed all the general managers, he discovered there were five leaders and 60 managers. Yeah. And uh, it kind of, it pointed for him to a deficit of leadership, uh, not just in the hotel industry, but perhaps in, in our country as a whole, that there's a sort of a deficit of, of leadership. So, um, he was very so, to the point too about that. He's yeah, like, maybe sure. that's why we have a political crisis in our country. Yeah. Like, well, like, and, and isn't it true if we don't have leaders leading, um, we have managers who have to step in and lead and that may not have the wiring for, for that kind of leadership where, where they can dream big dreams and bring people with them. Yeah. Uh, and instead they're trying to maintain and do their best to do that. But their, their wiring is to see the problems and to, to find reasons why it's not working instead of, instead of, yeah. because I think what leaders do, and this is probably not always good, but I tend to ignore problems. Sometimes I tend to, to ignore that stuff and say, no, no, let's go. We can make it. Like, uh, this is an example just out of my own life. When I go on a hike with the family, you know, here's poor Addie and Will, you know, my kids, they're like, are we there yet? You know, dad, I don't think we can make it. Like we're, the water's almost gone out of the water bottle. I'm like, no, 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 we can do it. We're almost there. We're good. And, um, sometimes as leaders, we push past some of the problems or the things that we should stop and kind of fix or deal with. But what I heard Horst saying is we need people like that in, in our um, churches and in, in, in leadership just in general to, to pull us to something beyond where we would normally comfortably find ourselves. Yeah. And that's what I feel like with my kids. I'm like, no, we're almost there. And then when we get to the top, it's incredible. And, you know, we see the, the view and, and they're like, thanks for nothing, dad, because you know, <laughs> there's some trees and, you know, whatever. And then I give them piggybacks all the way back down the hill because I pushed them too hard. But isn't that what leaders do, right? Yeah. They push past problems. Uh, they, they help us see beyond the excuses and they lead us somewhere where we may be not comfortable going if if uh, if someone didn't push us there. So uh, anyway, I just think there's a really there is a need for leadership in the church. And if you're a leader, you know um, we've talked over and over again about the price you pay for leadership. Uh, and the, and you're going to hear this from management people in your life or in your churches. Wait, wait, wait. We can't do that. Here's why. Here's the here's the reasons. Here's why it won't work. Here's Here's the excuses why we didn't, it didn't work last time. And, um, that can be discouraging after a while for us as leaders, I think. Yeah. And I think it, there's an impact here on whether you're a small church, medium church, large church. I think where this comes down as senior leaders is to make sure that the right kinds of leaders are in the right places on the org chart. And that's, that's a lot harder and that's going to take some time, especially if, you know, you've if you're new, you've inherited a staff, or or maybe you just didn't couldn't pinpoint why the one person that you had in that leadership position keeps giving excuses instead of ideas. Well, maybe you don't have a leader there, and you need one. And I think this is really, really important um, because it's easy in church. It's like I think sometimes we fall. Let me just speak for myself. Yeah. Sometimes I fall victim to like the warm body syndrome. Like totally. we just, we need somebody in there to do it. You're willing. Let's go. Yeah. And they may be, it may be a, a temporary solution, a band aid, but it's never going to go anywhere because they're not the right person in that That's right. seat. And now I have to undo what I just did. <laughs> That's right. At some point you're going to have to go back right. and fix it. Right? right. So, um, is it worth doing right the first time? Yeah, exactly. You know, and how do we have the patience and, um, I guess the, 
the courage to wait until that right person does come along. And sometimes there's warm body things in the church that are okay. You know, if you need somebody just to straighten the bulletins between services or something, like yeah. the stakes are pretty low. You know, I think there's some things that that are good for people who just, they're not leaders, but they, they're servants, right? And they, they want to serve in some way, but they don't have a great capacity to lead a team or to, to grow a ministry. But there's a place to plug in and, and be involved. And sometimes we do need somebody just that's willing. But if we're going to grow a ministry, if we're going to do something more, um, that's where we need to identify and, and wait for the right leaders to come along to do yeah. that. Yeah. There, you know, as we're talking about this, there, I, I just had this fleeting thought, Uh-oh. you know, that... Uh-oh. <laughs> I know. Well, it's it's my Reformed theology, Presbyterian polity stuff that it's like I need to ask a question that I think I know the answer to, but it's important to ask. Is this bad theology? Is this, um, you know, if we are the body of Christ and we all have a role in that body, is the specialization of ministry okay? Is, is it good stewardship? Is it closing people off to service opportunities? Um, I think I know the answer to this, but I think it's an important question <laughs> to ask question, because yeah. what there seems to there's a little bit of a tension there, right? Yeah. If we want excellence, it doesn't mean like I can't just put anybody That's in right. these roles. Yeah, is excellence in harmony with our theology or our ecclesiology? Yeah, I don't. I don't. Yeah. We didn't. We didn't prep we didn't, this question. We didn't at all. dive it into it. In my head. I yeah. would say you know there is a move towards specialization in almost every industry out there. Um, I would say in the church, specialization has been there from the very beginning, right? There's all these various gifts. There's uh, different skills and abilities that we bring as individuals that are to work in harmony together. Now, what I think if we're not careful, um, we can dismiss uh, segments of our community who are part of the body who do have a role to play because they don't fit our profile for leadership or or to to specialize in the roles that we've created that we need to fill. So we might be missing out on the full, full body of Christ and what they, what we can all bring together if we're not careful. And so I do think that's where as leaders, we need to make sure that um, there are opportunities for people to plug in and use their giftedness within the body of Christ for the sake of the mission. Cause I, I firmly believe this. I don't know who said it first, but Jesus has given us every single thing we need yeah. to succeed as the local church. And it's right in our, right in our congregation. Our job is to identify it, call it out, put it to purpose to work for the sake of the mission. And, uh, I think if we get super specialized in, and we don't have enough variety uh, of opportunity, then maybe some of the gifts are sitting in the pews or chairs. Yeah. Unutilized doesn't mean that they don't have a purpose or they're not, you know, they're, they just, we maybe have narrowed the field too much. So if we're, if specialization has done anything, it's maybe eliminated or changed the types of gifts that we look for yeah. and, and has left others on the sidelines. Yeah. That'd be my Thank opinion. you. I feel much better. Good. Okay. okay. Yeah. On to excellence. All right. All right. <laughs> no, I love it. A couple last thoughts. So he, we, he yeah. ended with this, the stress of leadership the stress of leadership. And he said, what is sucking you in and draining you right now so that you miss your vision? Yeah. So um, he said, there's a tendency in leadership for us to miss the vision. We've talked a little bit about that by the stuff that we end up managing and dealing with. And he said, what happens is that stuff 
will end up managing you and will rob you of life and your leadership. And, and we talked to, you know, how do we find renewal and self-care, all those things. And he's, for him, he said, it's just refocus on the vision, refocus on the vision, refocus on the vision. And he says, that's what, what makes the stress of leadership manageable is when you see the vision clearly, believe in it enough and you can imagine and you can dream and uh, you have constant concentration on the vision. So, uh, that's good. That's good stuff. That's really good. And I think, you know, when we talk about, um, the vision and we talk about the tension between excellence, uh, and the reality, the supernatural reality of God, I think excellence in chasing after a vision or or the drive for excellence is a desire to do the best that we can, which I think is inherently good. And I just hope that we talked about this last time that, that excellence doesn't also paralyze us from doing what must be done because it's not well, at a level that we think that's it right. And be. excellence yeah. is a means to an end, right? right. It's, it's right. excellence allows us to better accomplish the mission. It's, it's, it exists both to honor God in our work, but also to, to help people get to know and follow Jesus. And, and this is that, that whole idea that the things that we do in the church, we ought to be the best run organization in the world. Forget yeah. Ritz Carlton, right? I mean, yeah. good, good for him. And they're, they're, they're amazing. But our mission is is better, frankly. Yeah. And he 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 even sort of said that, right? He yeah. said, "You guys are doing something that matters so so much. Um, you need to have vision. You need to have excellence for the sake of of who God is and what He's calling you to." So that was a kind of a kick in the pants for me to say, "Okay, we got to refocus on this this idea of pursuing excellence, not not perfection." There's, a, you know, right, right. Excellence is. Excellence is doing the very best we can with what we have and continuing to improve and get better and thinking about the needs of the people in our lives and in our communities and, and pursuing them. And uh, he said, it's so important to know that you have something compelling to offer. Uh, we have something compelling to offer. And he categorized it as, as hope. Yeah. Um, uh, and we, of course, and we'd frame the gospel in all sorts of ways. But yeah, hope. People need hope in a, in a lost, sort of torn, broken world. So, yeah. yeah. And so let's, so coming at it from the other side a yeah. little bit is, okay, so then how does this, um, going after your mission and taking steps to get there and excellence, how does that come across to our guests when they come into our church mm-hmm. or, you know, somebody who's coming to church for the first time or who's been attending. And, um, so I had a breakout session with Mark Jennings and, or excuse me, Kevin Jennings and, um, he, he was, he worked with like Tony Robbins and all these guys in marketing and, and he's like a hundred miles an hour. So I'm sure I, I, I wasn't able to keep up with the notes, but, but one thing that he said that I thought was important to remember is he said, whether you like it or not, people just don't turn off their consumer brains when they come into church. Yeah. And you have to, the church has to respond to that. I said, the church is so way behind, uh, you know, the marketplace when it comes to trying to meet people's needs. And he said, isn't the church about trying to meet people's needs? And I think uh, just a couple of takeaways was he said, you know, people are experiencing customization in every part of their life. Absolutely. You know, your Netflix feed, your, I mean, it, it's to, to dialed into what you want. So maybe there's something we could do with that, that spiritually has a spiritual impact. Sure. So for example, maybe it is, you get some, fairly inexpensive technology on your website to have like a chat bot or something. And so, and you ask a very basic question, like 
what's a topic that you would love to hear more about in the next six months, you know, or, or it doesn't have to be six months, but you know, what's a topic you want to hear more about? And so I want to hear more about parenting. Well, then you set up your information in a way that it has a spiritual result. So then they get onto an automated email chain of a lesson that you did on parenting mm-hmm. or a sermon that you did or a couple of videos or outside that resources, did, or outside yeah. resources yeah. as a way of trying to, for need meeting, using information for need meeting. And I just thought that was really interesting idea. I think he's onto something. I think though there's a fine line between feeling like that's gross and you yeah. know, like a, being creepy. Well, isn't it what we've been trying? I mean, this is, I, I think this is what we're all trying to do is help each person identify something in, in their life or their faith where they can grow. Right. Yeah. Uh, so we call it, you know, a lot of us call it next steps or take, you know, take a next step or whatever. I know we almost all churches have some version of that, right. Of uh, what's your next step and how do we help drill down in a customized way or a personal way to that next step. And that's yeah. something we've been working really hard at at Marine view is how do we not just broadcast a bunch of opportunities and say, pick one, or we do a sermon and we say, here's the landing point. This is everybody's next step. Well, it might be for some people in the room, but it might not be for others. Um, so creating an opportunity through technology or even just in the way that we approach people in our connecting process or in our conversations as leaders, what is the right step for that person? Yeah. What are their needs right now? And it might be a parenting class. It might be a finance class. It might be serving in the community. And it might be they just need somebody to talk to over coffee. But we all have different needs. But we all have a step that we can take in our life and faith. And so I think what we're, what we're hearing and Ke- you know, Kevin offered some ideas about how to do that, that I think it sounded like he they weren't quite fully defined for him on what, how that might go, but he's kind of casting a little bit of a, a question to all of us. You're the leaders in the church. You figure out what it actually means, but I know there's a need for personalization Yeah, and uh, you figure out the details, but that's the need that I see. And that's where we're behind as as the church in general. We haven't figured that personalization aspect out. Uh, you go to you look at um, tons of you know uh, you can do the stitch fix box right, and it comes and you start to customize exactly the kinds of clothes, and they start to use algorithms to see the things that you like in that clothing box, and it comes right to you, and you you say I want this and not that, and uh, you know, all these other industries are figuring out this personalization. Yeah. Um, what are our preferences? What is our, what is our style? Where are we, where are we at in life? What product or service do we need right now? And the church is just sort of saying, Hey, come to this class that we're offering for every single person as if we're all in the same place. Right. And right. that's just not the case. Yeah. I think that's really important. And, you know, consumerism is certainly not something I think that the church wants to necessarily uplift on the other hand i think it's something that can be leveraged totally yeah you know well and it, it can be leveraged for disciple making right right and because what we're saying is we do have something for you to quote unquote consume but it's a next step in your life and faith it's, right. it's a way to grow and so we you know trying to frame things around key behaviors uh, that we as followers of Jesus or people who are considering following Jesus should be engaging in and then helping people take steps inside of those things. Um, that's, I mean, I think there's some really cool opportunities to actually have a model of disciple making that, that covers the whole of everything we do in the church. Yeah. You know, so often we take discipleship and we make it a, a category 
of ministry, a program aspect of the church. Now, every single thing you do as a church is disciple-making, for better or worse. And so naming that and then saying, okay, what's your path, personal pathway of discipleship right now? And if somebody's been around the church for their whole lives, they don't need another Bible study. I mean, they're hopefully they have a group and they're studying the Bible. I mean, that's good. It's important. You got to do that. Their next step is probably to lead or to serve in some way, right? Yeah. That, that's where they need to be challenged to get out of the pew and stop consuming Christian content and live it out. Um, so anyway, I got, I'm going on a little bit of a rant here, <laughs> but this is so, so important. Yeah. Take discipleship out as a line item, make it the whole of who you are. Sunday mornings is disciple making, uh, serving is disciple making, caring is disciple making, uh, serving in your community is, is disciple making. All those things are part of our discipleship. And so if you're helping people take steps to do those things, and whatever steps right for each person, that you're deci- you're making disciples. Yeah. So um, it's not about the class that we go. Maybe we all know that. I'm just preaching <laughs> to the choir here. No, it's good. And and before we kind of wrap up this session, I want to get to one more um, uh, breakout that you went to. Yes. Because yeah. you know, for me, my first church had a seminary. It was me, the custodian, and the secretary. Like that was the entire staff. The I, Trinity. Yeah, I was the, I, I was the. Uh, the youth director, yeah. the, the kids director, the band leader, the band, I, literally, the I guy. was doing, I would, yep, yep, I was everything. You and, were everything. And, um, and I know that for some folks, you know, they think about these different ideas about vision and oh, excellence sure. and guest services and all these things. And for some who are in a smaller church are thinking, are you crazy? Like yeah. I, I can barely keep up. Yeah. With, with everything else. And I yeah. think it's really important so to name that yep. because that's the average church yeah. in America, yeah. right? 75 and under. Yep. Yep. Exactly. And you went to a breakout by Carl Vaders who um, talks about small church ministry. Can you share just so a little good. bit about what I thought it was so good? What yeah. He said. Excellent. Excellent stuff. And and first off, I grew up in a small church. My dad was a was the guy who turned the lights on and turned the lights off and set up all the chairs and made the coffee and... Uh, Played the guitar. This is the day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I remember, you know, preached the sermon. Um, my mom ran the children's ministry with some volunteers. I mean, small church. We were anywhere from 80 to 150 throughout my uh, childhood growing up. And uh, it was a great church. It was a small town. There's only so big we could get, um, you know. And what I loved about Carl's um, uh, breakout was uh, he... he First, he kind of talked about how sometimes small churches and pastors of small churches can feel less than because we tend to talk in big church terms or as if that's the ultimate goal. And uh, he kind of reset that conversation. He said some churches uh, and some leaders, um, you know, they're, they're just naturally wired, wired for a, a small, you know, under 200 size community. And that's okay, and that's actually really good. Some people are want to be a part of a community where they know every single per- person there in the congregation and where the pastor knows every single person in the congregation. Some of you out there as leaders, you're wired for that. There's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's that can be a really good thing. It's a blessing. And you can actually really mobilize a community for impact uh, in ways that I think is harder as you grow and scale and, and have all these systems and process to manage. And uh, Carl was talking about when... Um, he had a, a handful of churches that he had pastored and served in, and they were all smaller, uh, and it, uh, and there was a lot of life in them. Some were hard, some were good. And then he got to uh, one opportunity where it grew from uh, 
you know, 100 to 400 over the course of 15 years. It wasn't like overnight. Uh, but that they had gone from 200 to 400 in about a year and a half for some reason. They became kind of the cool kid in the community for a little while. And he said it almost destroyed him and the ministry in general because he discovered that he's not, he doesn't want to be a manager of systems and process and, yeah. and all those things. He wants to be in there with the people. Uh, and so they, they kind of, um, they kind of drew back to around 200 and he found that they're healthier than they ever have been. And so his point was you can be a really healthy, great church and be a small church. And then he talked about some things that, um, it takes to be a healthy church, a great church as a small church. And it's, I think the same is true for large churches, but in particular, he talked uh, about the smaller churches and he said, um, that uh, it all came down to three things, the great commandment, the great commission, and then following the pastoral prime mandate was what he called it. So great commandment is, you know, love God and love your neighbor. You know? And that's so love your neighbors inside the church, have a deep love for each other. Uh, but if that's all you have, you're not at, you're not a healthy church yet. So the great commission is make disciples of all people, right? Teach them to follow Jesus. And uh, so he said, uh, you know, they had to work at helping people see their lives as part of the great commission, inviting others to know and follow Jesus and, uh, and seeing some of those things happen. But what he noticed as they started to get healthy around those two things is that he was still the one doing all the stuff. He was still turning the lights on and off. He was still cleaning the sanctuary, still, he's still doing all the things that you listed at the beginning there. And, uh, he, he, you know, he, he found Ephesians four, you know, called some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to what, to equip people for works of service. So the body of Christ may be built up. And he said, when he found that, uh, and was encouraged around that, he started seeing his primary role as a small church pastor as equipping people for works of service instead of doing it all himself. Yeah. It sounds simple. But for someone's a DIYer or a kind of a small church guy, you get used to being the guy to turn the lights on and off and do all the things. Uh, he said it took a lot of discipline. But what he one thing that he started doing, he said, um, I uh, always invited someone to do it with me. And he started everything. That's he didn't so do anything alone anymore. If he went to visit someone in the hospital, he brought someone along. If he was setting up the church, he called someone and said, hey, can you come and help me set up the church? Um uh, he would always have someone with him doing that. And he would use that opportunity to build relationships, but also to see if there's something there, some gift there for that person to step into leadership or to take that part over yeah, uh, to equip them for that work. And so whether it's hospital visit, visitation or some janitorial kinds of things or running the kids ministry, uh, he was always inviting someone along. And, uh, and inviting them to do that. And that, that sort of mentoring, um, almost apprenticeship model is really, it's a biblical model for disciple making. Yeah. And I think that's every bit as, as everything else we said, that's every bit about excellence. Totally. As, as anything else. Yeah. 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 And inviting someone to do it with you and then, then you can go the next time and watch them do it and give them feedback and input and, um, and in fact, I would make the case that we all ought to be doing this no matter what. Absolutely. Uh, so I, I was, in, I was really encouraged by his thoughts and comments and we're, we, we're going to try and invite him on and see if he can yeah, kind of share he says yes. Yeah, me too. Cause I because think it'd be good. I think there's a lot, uh, a lot of folks out there. Maybe this is you listening in and, uh, and this is like, this is who you are and where you are as a leader. And I think it's a good thing. Um, if this is where we are, where most of our churches are this size, um, how do we be really healthy, uh, as smaller churches? So. 
Yeah. yeah. It's good stuff. Good stuff, man. Hey. Wow. Awesome, dude. A lot of, lot of I material. know. Sorry. We're, we apologize yeah. for um, just uh, digesting it all with you. <laughs> hopefully, there's some things useful in here. Most of the folks that we've mentioned have onla- an online presence of some kind with other yeah. content. And so if there's something that jumped out at you as you listened and you're like, I want to follow up with that, let us know. We can try and put you in touch with some of those resources or you can just, you know, search them. Most of them are yeah. Well known enough that you'll, we'll link you'll, to everything we yeah, can fine. on the uh, show notes. Yeah. And if you're not familiar with our show notes yet, if you go to reclaimleader.com forward slash and then the episode number, you say actually the word episode and then the number, um, it, it you'll link right to it and you can download the show notes and everything else. So uh, that's an easy way to get all the info. So, uh, all right, brother. All right. Well, till next, uh, next time around with this whole rethink leadership. Uh, it's good stuff. I hope yeah. you guys are finding, if, if it's not this one, find find something to go to, to be encouraged by, get your mind thinking, get outside of your, your bubble and, and your context for a little bit. It's really healthy. Jason, obviously we had a, a, a wonderful experience at the Rethink Leadership Conference that always challenges our thinking, uh, puts us into contact with, with great thinkers and leaders out there that really have the effect of inspiring us as leaders and innovators. And so that's really my takeaway from Rethink is I, I was ready to get back in and get after it. And of course, you know, here we got to hear all of our reflections on, on vision and Horst Schultze and, and, and those things. And so hopefully there's some nuggets in there for you, some things that you took away, or maybe at the very least a little, it's, it's sort of blue on that ember of vision and that longing. And, and maybe uh, it just helped you uh, to continue to get excited about what God's doing where you are in and through your leadership. So uh, not a lot to say here at the end, Jason, just uh, grateful that we got had a chance to go and, and hear from a lot of great speakers. Absolutely. And so uh, again, we hope that this has helped you jump on our Facebook group. If you want to connect with us, it's a great way to do that. You can always reach out to us by email jason at reclaimleader.com or jesse at reclaimleader.com and until then hope that this has helped you to lead change without losing your roots thank you for listening to reclaimed leader join us next time for more insights interviews and resources to help you in your leadership journey 